For today's sermon, it's not totally a sermon, so I'm just confessing that ahead of time. Uh, What we're really having today is a communion experience, and so what I want to do is use a little bit of this sermon to set up that communion experience um, just by doing some reflecting on on, uh, war and battle and violence as a Christian um, let us begin, as, as we have Veterans Day this week, um, by honoring our veterans. So could we have those who have served in our armed forces, please stand if you're able or raise your hand. Um, we'd like to just acknowledge your service to our country. So can we give them a round of applause? We thank you very much. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Um, if you are a, veterans, a veteran and uh, would like it, there, I, we have some veterans pins um, that you can wear on your collar. They're at the end of the communion table. So they're in a cup down there. So if you're a veteran and would like one of those, uh, grab one when you come to the table. Um, today, I, I just want to reflect as we head towards communion on what should a Christian perspective be on war and on violence? I think it's a challenging question. It's one that has sort of been with me my entire life um, for, for two reasons. Number one, that, that my dad was in the military, and I'm going to talk more about that. And also that I grew up doing martial arts, and I, I don't talk about that a lot, but my dad taught martial arts. We, we, I've done uh, a lot of different styles of martial arts. And um, one of the things you learn in martial arts is is just how easy it is to hurt somebody. Uh, it's actually not that hard, okay? Some of you have, how, how many of you have done something really stupid and hurt yourself, right? You, you, you just fall over and you hurt yourself for a long time, you're feeling that. Um, to, to, with any kind of training, it's very easy to harm the human body. And uh, growing up doing martial arts, it, it became just apparent how easily it was to hurt somebody. And um, in, in martial arts, at least, you learn sort of different levels of response. Okay, so if somebody gets into a fight that's not been trained, they have sort of on-off, fight-flight. Okay, as a martial artist or somebody who's been trained for the police or all kinds of things, you sort of learn various levels of responses. So it's not just on-off, but you've got sort of degrees you can turn to. But still, I remember growing up and learning martial arts and growing in my faith and thinking, man, I really don't want to use this stuff. Right, and that's actually part of good martial arts, I think, is, is not wanting to use it and, and learning to, be, to, to have self-defense. But I remember even as a kid starting to grow in my faith, grow as a martial artist, thinking, what do I do as a Christian about this? Right? What do I do as a Christian? How do I respond as a Christian if somebody messes with me? Somebody messes with somebody around me? Okay, as a, as a parent, right? Like... I can, I can be a pacifist all I want, but if you mess with my kids, I'm like ready to go. You know what I mean? Like, like so, so how, how as a Christian do I respond to that? And as a Christian, by the way, I take sin very seriously too. I mean, sin is such a serious problem, Jesus had to die for it. And there's a lot of sin and a lot of brokenness in this world that I think sometimes needs to be dealt with. Now, I also thought about this a lot because my dad was a chaplain in the Army Reserves. And when I was about eight years old, he, he, uh, about nine years old, he, he went 
to uh, Operation Desert Storm. I didn't have my dad for six months, which in the grand scheme of wars is nothing, right? I mean, many, many conflicts, you were gone for years. Desert Storm, my dad was gone more than a lot of other soldiers because he went a little bit early. And then they worked a prisoner of war camp, which means even after the conflict was over, they were on duty until those prisoners were released. And I remember even at like eight years old, nine years old, uh, you know, I was, I was eight or nine and I was a boy. So I liked all the army stuff, right? I had my camo stuff, my, my camo hat, my Desert Storm camo hat's on the table. You can see it when you come up. Um, and I, I had Desert Storm trading cards and I liked looking at all the tanks and the trucks and the, the stealth bombers and the, but I remember being eight or nine and thinking, you know, my dad may not come back from this. I mean, even though my dad wasn't in conflict, again, he was at a prisoner of war camp, which means he was in some danger. And uh, he would tell us sometimes on the phone or in a letter about, you know, scud missile attacks and uh, needing to go into certain shelters and find your helmet and where's your mask. And, and I remember at that, even at that age thinking, my dad may not come back from this. And, and that means somebody else's dad might not come back from this either or somebody else's mom or... I remember even thinking about that because, because my dad worked at a prisoner of war camp for Iraqi prisoners. That gave me a perspective. Wait, well, wait a minute. There's kids. There's a nine-year-old in Iraq whose dad may not come back on the other side of this conflict, right? Now, I didn't, I, as an eight or nine-year-old, I didn't really dwell on this. But as I got older and even grew in my faith more, I started to wonder, like, how as a Christian do I put these things together? My martial arts background, my dad in the military. And, and I'm just convinced it's hard to put them together. Like I'm, I'm just convinced there's not an easy way to do this. There's like a tension, I think, as Christians. That I really want to be a pacifist. And I really want there to be no fighting. I really want there to be no wars. I really want there to be no conflicts. And yet also as a Christian, I understand that there's this sin problem that makes those things inevitable. Everybody, everybody catching this tension, right? I think Veterans Day is a day that sort of brings this to the forefront. Right? And, and there's a lot of tensions that go along with it. I, I want to support our troops, but it doesn't mean I agree with every conflict we get into. I want to, as Paul talks about, respect our government authorities, but, but I don't always agree with necessarily where government leads us into battle. I want to be patriotic, but I don't want to worship our nation either, right? There's this constant tension that we have we need this tension and nuance right now. It's so easy. In our, in our culture, there's like no nuance. Everything is becoming like either or. Black or white, my side, your side, red, blue, whatever the line is. It's like there, there's no room for nuance in our culture. Okay? Mask, no mask. Vaccine, no vaccine. Right? There's like not a lot of in-between. And I'm convinced as a Christian that a lot of times I'm stuck in the fuzzy middle. By the way, the Bible has this conflict. The same God who says not to kill tells Israel to kill and gets mad when they don't kill. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace, but he also says that he does not come to bring peace, but a sword. The Bible talks about this word shalom, peace. And peace is not actually a very good translation of this word. The word shalom really means um, wholeness, rightness. Uh, health, prosperity. Shalom is what happens when the world is as it should be because it responds to God the way it should. 
Okay, that's what shalom means. Shalom means God is God, we are not, and we are in our right place. Then the world would work. And there'd be no fighting, there'd be no conflict, there'd just be peace. Everybody would do what they're supposed to do. They would live the life they're supposed to live. And, and the Old Testament talks a lot about shalom and a desire for shalom. And you know what the Old Testament also talks about? Here's what happens when you don't have shalom. Here's how you deal with when there's not shalom. Here's what you deal with when somebody dies. Here's how you deal with war. Here's how you deal with uncleanliness. Here's what you deal with all the brokenness, the non-shalom of this world. The theological term for this, it's kind of simple, but is now and not yet. The idea that there's some ways in which God is breaking into this world and things are becoming under the lordship of Christ, how they should come. And at the same time, it's not yet there. It's imperfect. Like you, like me, we're imperfect. And we long for a day when it's going to be perfect. Listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains, shall be lifted up above the hills, and the nation shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that he may, we, we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Okay, so the mountain of the Lord, that's Jerusalem, the temple mount. That is, in, Jer- in, in Jewish thinking, the closest you can be to heaven. Okay, the, uh, the tabernacle was actually seen as the footstool of God. Like that's where God's, from his, from his throne in heaven, his feet rested there. And so what's Isaiah, he's dreaming of this day where all the rules are going to come from there. And everybody's going to listen to there. And all the nations are going to, going to bow before God there. Okay, the law, all the laws, what we're going to follow are going to come from there. And then he continues. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So Isaiah envisions this time where we don't even have to study war. You won't even need an army. In fact, all your weapons, what are their weapons of the day? Swords and spears. You won't even need them anymore. Like just, you might as well not keep your sword. Why don't you cut your sword so you can rake with it? So that you can prune with it. Right? So you can plow. Just let's, let's plow with our spears. We're not going to need spears anymore. We just need plows. And Amos is looking forward to this day. Like, yes, let that day come. Israel, let's move towards that day. But Isaiah is also looking for this time when uh, it's, it's not going to be that way yet. Right? That now there's some real trouble coming for Israel. And Isaiah prophesies that to them. Like, uh, it's going to take some time. But it'll, it, what does he say here? It'll come to pass in the latter days. See, that's, that's where we are right now. We're waiting for the latter days. We, we're, like, we're, we're like in the midst of this sin and this brokenness in the world, but we're looking forward to when we won't need war anymore. We won't need weapons anymore. So I think as Christians, we should want to be pacifists. We should try to be pacifists. We should strive everything we can to find peace. But I think we also live in a broken world, which means that right now there are going to be wars. Right now, there are going to be weapons. 
And so what we need to do is, is look forward to the time when it's not going to be like that and try to avoid conflict wherever we can, find peace wherever we can. I think it's also important for us in the middle of this to really be thankful for our veterans, for those people who serve. There's something deeply Christian about we, we being willing to give up your life for another. That's what Jesus did. That's what I think we should do. What did John say? Jesus says in John, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So there's a need to, I think, celebrate the sacrifice that many make. But I, everybody's kind of catching this tension, though, right? Like, I want the both and. I, I, I want this, this, this tension. There's this inbreaking love and grace of Jesus, but there's also a very sinful world. I want peace, but I also understand that kingdom of peace is, is even though it's breaking in now, it's not yet. And we are missing this as a culture, by the way. Okay, when I, when I, I like, I'm hearing conversations about shrinking the military, defunding the police, opening our borders up so that people can come anytime they want. I, I think that we also have to keep seriously this idea of sin, that we live in a broken world. I would love to not need police or borders or military. And I, you know what? I'm here to tell you someday we aren't going to need those things. But right now, I also am thankful for those people that stand in those difficult positions for us. And so what do we do with this tension? Well, I'll tell you that a lot of my friends who are pastors uh, basically don't do anything with Veterans Day. Or they honor veterans, but they don't really do a special service or anything for it because this tension is so real for them. How how do you live in this tension? And so what what I just have decided to do is I'm just going to move into that tension. (laughs) And we're just going to live with it. And one of the best ways I have found to live with it is through this experience. Okay, so, so these are my dad's communion kits. Uh, my dad was a, uh, uh, and if you, if you got a description of the booklets, I'm going to kind of walk through those in brief intro. I'm not going to read it or anything. My dad was a chaplain in the Army Reserves. Um, he was a Presbyterian minister um, and then was uh, also a chaplain. So one weekend a month, he'd go for at least Saturday and then come flying back in for su- Sunday normally. Um, and ended up in Desert Storm. And uh, his unit was a military police unit that built a prisoner of war camp in the desert. I mean, there was nothing there. It was just desert. And his unit had plumbers, they had electricians, they had carpenters. They brought all the wire with them to set up this prisoner of war camp. And they were almost immediately fooled because there were a lot of soldiers in in the Iraqi army had no interest in fighting the American army. And so as soon as shots were fired, guys were dropping their guns and putting their hands up. And so almost instantly, this prisoner of war camp, totally full. Um, so my dad went over, but he did not have a field communion kit. Okay, and uh, so, so you need to be able to have communion and worship in the field, which meant you had to have certain gear with you. Like, you don't think about that, but you're in the middle of the desert. Like, where's the cups for communion? Where's the grape juice? Right? Where's the hymnals? Who brought the hymnals to this? And so dad had to think through a lot of that. And so what he did was, he, before he left, he ordered a communion kit. And what the supply company, the, the supply unit did, was they looked at the number, they went to the shelf, and they got him the communion kit that was sitting there. It turns out it was an old communion kit, a used communion kit. It's this blue one right here. And so it was, this kit was used either in World War II or Korea. That's kind of the time period that this kit was used. And when my dad got it, it was used. So this, this thing has been through two wars now, at least, that we know of. Uh, 
Okay, and uh, it's it's terribly heavy. It's this big metal case, but it holds up really well. And um, so my dad used this in Iraq. You can see pictures when you come up or in your booklet of this kit actually in use. And so whether it was on the front of a Jeep or on a table, on a chair, wherever, this is what he would use to try to set up a holy space for communion. Now, eventually, he couldn't get parts for this anymore. And uh, the supply sort of caught up and he got one of these new kits. Funny story about that. He shipped this one home from Iraq and got to use this one for a couple months. But this kit didn't beat him home. It was actually in a post office truck fire. Okay, so this kit has survived two wars and a post truck fire. The only reason he got it back was the the foam all melted, the uh, the handle melted off. But uh, he had put his social security number on the kit. And so they gave it back to the military. The military found out who he was. And just one day we got a bag of this charred case. We had no idea what it was. It was my dad's communion kit. And so he had to clean it up. But this this kid has been through two wars and a and a fire. Let's get right here. Uh, he finally got to use this, uh, this smaller, much more portable kit. Um, this was new at Desert Storm, but they had designed it in Vietnam because um, this kit was just hard to get through the jungle and in a lot of different kind of scenarios. Um, so my dad used this kit. Um, you can see all kinds of stuff up here. This is one of my favorite pieces. It's actually some of the grape juice powder that he would have to use from the MRE kits. Because how do you get grape juice in the middle of the desert at a prisoner working? Um, he had this stole that he, would, he wouldn't wear it, though. He normally used it to kind of set off the Jeep or table or whatever as a holy space. Um, I mean, you'll see pictures. He, he was just out in the desert or, or just in a tent somewhere. How do you create holy space in the midst of that conflict? One of the coolest pieces, and if you've been at this church, uh, we did this, I think, three years ago. But there was one piece I didn't have because my dad lost it. And I was home and found it a couple weeks ago. But there's this big sheet here. And this sheet's really interesting because it's signed by all the Iraqi Christian prisoners of war that were at the camp that my dad gave to communion. And it's very fascinating to think about. We don't think about Christians on the other side. And then in Iraq, you have to understand, um, after Saddam Hussein... Uh, a number of terrorist groups sort of fought for control of Iraq. It's been a big, hairy deal. And a lot of the Christians have been displaced. But they were all about persecuted, and a lot of them were killed. And so when you see these names, you see these notes to the pastors, um, they just, right before they went to leave, they cut a sheet in half and gave, all signed it, one for the other chaplain and one for my dad. But when you see those names, these names are names that a lot of, some of whom I can about guarantee you died for their faith as Christians. On that sheet. Um, and so uh, I've also sort of collected some other pictures and things um, that kind of go with the kit. The best picture, you, you have to pick it up and look at it, is, is communion on Iwo Jima. And you can actually see Iwo Jima in the background, the beach after the battle. And they're having communion with the beach in the background. I don't know who caught that picture, but it's a wonderful, wonderful picture. And then one of my favorite pieces up here, too, there's a couple of crosses that were from spent cases of a civil war in Liberia. Okay, so there's a big civil war. There were actually two there. Um, And what the Christians would do is pick up all these casings that were everywhere from people killing each other in the streets. And they would make crosses out of them. And it's a wonderful sort of physical picture of swords and plowshares. 
towards the plowshares. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a kind of a communion experience here. So unlike a lot of our communions where we just kind of come up, get your element, and go sit down, I'm going to ask everybody to be a little patient today. Because what I want you to do is actually come up to the table and take a little bit of time. Which means, everybody, it's going to take a little bit of time for this many people to do that. Okay? So I'm going to ask you to come forward and just, we're, we're going to try to come down the center aisle and then go this way. Okay? It's sort of meant to go one direction. And then if you need to cut back to your seat, we'll just be, we'll just be patient with each other, right? Let people get through where they need to get through. We're going to be very patient here. We're going to, let it, we're going to take our time, everybody. Okay? So you'll be able to just read. Um, I gave you the booklet, so before you come up, you can kind of see what's up here already. So that you have some time to wait, if you have some time to wait. And um, just kind of look through. You can hold stuff, pick stuff up. Okay, you can touch whatever's up here. Okay, this is meant to be an experience. Okay, so pick up the picture. And then communion is actually already on the table. So... Uh, maybe I would suggest if something's especially meaningful for you, take communion by that. You know what I mean? Pick it up right there because the communion's all over the place. Um, and then before you go sit down, again, if you're a veteran, there's a pin there. Um, you'll be able to just take communion wherever you are. There's a garbage can over there for your leftover, for your leftover pl- uh, uh, chalice from communion. Um, does that make sense to everybody? If you're in your cars, um, then uh, you have the booklet. So I would encourage you to sort of read through, take your time with the pictures, and then you're already given communion, so you can take communion when you, when you get to that point. And what we're going to do is we're just going to sing some songs, okay? And uh, we're going to sing for all the saints. It's going to be kind of slow with some pauses. We're going to sing God of our fathers. There are going to be some time where we'll be playing, sometimes where we'll be singing. So if you're in your seat... You could sing along. You could not sing along. You could sit and pray. Okay? I'm going to just let it be. Everybody, I know as Presbyterians, you want like order and structure. But Presbyterians, we can do it. We're going to once in a while listen to God for ourselves and be a little patient. Okay? Um, so, so we'll have the praise team. We'll be singing a few hymns. You can sing along if you're waiting in your pew. Again, you have the booklet too, which I had to prepare for everybody in the cars anyway. I gave that to you. So you can look through and read that stuff before you even come up. That way, when you get up here, you you can just pick out certain things that you wanted to look at. But we're just going to be patient. And then when I think, when everybody's kind of done, we're going to sing that final, our closing hymn. Okay? And I'll kind of motion for everybody to stand up. We'll, We'll try to do this as smooth as we can. Okay? Does that make sense to everybody? So also means I'm not going to dismiss you. I'm going to treat you like adults and you can come up when you're ready to come up or when there's not that much of a line. And uh, we'll just we'll just work from there. Just be a little bit aware of each other. You know, I mean, we have uh, we have have several wheelchairs and people with some mobility stuff that may need to cut backwards. So just be aware of each other a little bit as you go. And um, I, I trust that the Holy Spirit can speak directly to you. Doesn't have to go through me. So slow yourself down, pray as you come up, and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through something up here. Be thinking of this tension of of communion on the battlefield, and what does that mean, and what does that mean for how we think about war and battle. And won't it be great when we don't need any of this stuff, right? Um, so, So let God, let the Holy Spirit sort of guide you in what this means to you or what stands out to you, okay?
I'll say this exactly the way my dad did it. I never had to learn the words of institution because as a kid, I tried to memorize what my dad said. And so I know that I do communion exactly the way my dad does. And I know that he does it. And when he was in the he did it exactly this way. He would say, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, our Savior took the cup. And when he had given thanks and blessed it, he gave it to his disciples. Saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink you all of it. And Paul adds the words, for as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. So Holy Spirit, be poured out on these elements of bread and of juice. Be poured out on our table, set up uniquely for this day. Speak to each and every person here in your own unique way, Holy Spirit, that we may be thinking and considering what you would show us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.